0: 911
1: what's your emergency?
2: can help you? Hi everybody, welcome back to another great episode of We Speak Dispatch. Because we're speaking dispatch, that means we're speaking it right to you. And today we got a really special guest. We'll talk about her in one second, but I gotta welcome Leslie's here today. Leslie, how are you today? So good. Great enjoy. How, how goes it, Joe? How are you doing today? You ready to go for this?
3: I'm doing great, and this is going to be an awesome episode.
2: This is going to be great stuff. And we have, man, a national spokesperson for the National Police Association right there in front of us, Sergeant, well, retired Sergeant Betsy Retner smith And I will tell you what, I knew about her back in about 2007. She wrote this great article called The Love-Hate Relationship Between Cops and Their Dispatchers. And I shared that everywhere I could find people. In fact, I still share it all the time. So that was a great article. And I'm so glad that you've joined us today. So how are you, Betsy?
1: I am doing fantastic. And thanks so much for having me. You know, that article well, uh, is still in the top five most shared articles on police one because it <laughs> and, and and I get I still get email internationally because of it. That's And that's how I
2: got a hold of you at the beginning, because I read the article, yeah. and I said, I wonder if she'd even respond if I sent her an email. And I sent it, and you sent it right back. I'm like, hey, <laughs> <I know. laughs> this is so great. She's so, like, approachable. So I'm glad you're here today. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, I mean, you for a second, just so we can kind of get out all your credentials. I mean, you're part of your retired sergeant with uh, Illinois and Naperville, and you've done a whole bunch of other stuff. I have your whole bio here. It's really big. So oh, like, it's out. So, <laughs> <laughs> but- you and your husband run a business too.
1: What's that? So Dave Smith and I, and for those of you who may know him as JD Buck Savage, <laughs> oh. um, we, we uh, I mean, you know, who doesn't want to <laughs> be Mrs. Buck Savage? <laughs> <No kidding>. um, <laughs> so and uh, we own a company called the Winning Mind LLC, and uh, we still travel. Uh, around the country. We've been doing this uh, internationally for decades. Um, but we still travel around. We, we train police officers. We train dispatchers. And, uh, and we have a ball doing it. And, and, uh, and we love it. We also write for, uh, you know, he writes for Police Magazine. I write for a bunch of the websites. And, uh, and of course I spend a lot of time now in the media um, <laughs> that's speaking true. for our brothers and sisters out there. <laughs> we we and-
2: see you constantly on Newsmax and OAN. So you're on there all the time. Right, and, right. and that's why I just saw, watched you a little while ago. And I'm like, look at that. She's going to be on our thing here just in a second. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very cool. So, I mean, this, the way this whole society has been going, and it's so dangerous now for our responders out there that it's really starting to impact a lot of us. In fact, if you look back at the Minneapolis, mess that went on back there where the city allowed them to burn down that precinct in minneapolis Mm -hmm. that was the backup 901 center so they not only burned down the police station they burned down the backup center in case something happens to the main center so Mm -hmm. i mean i kind of like to touch on a little bit about dispatch safety i mean we're kind of like all the officers are going to be out fighting are you know doing a riot control but who's at the comm center to kind of provide some sort of security we're talking a lot about that today so what's your thoughts on that a process Well,
1: uh, I'll tell you, I have a I have a girlfriend who was texting me that night in Minneapolis, oh, wow. um, sending me live photos of her precinct being mm-hmm. burned down. And um, she told me, you know, as we were talking, she's like, yeah, we, we were given, you know, a little bit of time to get our personal belongings out of the precinct. And uh, leadership told them, let them burn it down. That and is what insane. A- I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, really, the Minneapolis leadership um, left those cops out there to die. It's yeah. a it's a story that people really need to understand and and know about. And and what was happening when that precinct was burning down? There there were also uh, firefighters and police officers trying to save an occupied nursing home nearby they were trying to burn that down too you know all all in the all in the uh interest of talking about black lives matter we'll talk more about that later
2: that's that's been all over the news just today where there's a lot of that malfeasance out there with that organization it's extraordinary
1: and uh, but that night yeah that night in minneapolis um those and and frankly some of the unsung heroes of that situation were the minnesota state police the transportation police um, in and around the the city of Minneapolis, the sheriff's department, but those cops were just absolutely and the firefighters too and I want to, I want to um, mention that as well because they were the ones trying to put out the fires. And then let's talk about the dispatchers that night and on and on they were getting just an extraordinary number of 911 calls Can't they were imagine. trying to keep track of their cops mm. trying to keep track of. Uh, their firefighters. And it was just an extraordinarily uh, stressful situation for everyone. And so now what we're seeing 20 months later in the aftermath of that is the post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. that is happening in that entire organization is just beyond belief. And I, I can't even imagine about what about they've it.
2: gone through over there. So
1: yeah. and it, it just seems as
0: though, um, you know, and I know that there's probably a handful of agencies that are listening to this podcast right now that are fully staffed. But I think (laughs) a lot (laughs) of, I know, a lot of, of even in the field and in dispatch, uh, they're, they're short staffed because they saw that take place. And there are very few people who are going to want to sign up for that kind of thing. And so now the the challenge is just getting people to come to work because it's like, wait a second, you know, that's, that's not what I signed up for. And how are we gonna move past this? Because obviously law enforcement and public safety and dispatch and firefighters, these are critical pieces of public safety. How do, how do we move past this so we can get people back in the center, get people back in the cars and get people back on the rigs and, and maintain some some safety again?
1: Yeah. Well, we are at a point now in this country where, you know, we we've just seen in uh, the last, you know, almost four weeks, how many police officers have been shot. We've had a, a multitude <sighs> of officers uh, murdered. You know, we've still yeah. got uh, at least two more cops to bury next week. And the thing is, is you would think we've had I understand we've had 16 cities in this country, including Tucson, Arizona, where I live right now that have set new homicide records just in the last year. So you would think that our political leaders and our law enforcement leaders um, would be saying, okay, enough is enough. In reality, what's happening, and this is because the our profession has been so politicized. Oh, yeah. Um, we've got the president is, um, you know, we're anticipating that he is going to uh, introduce some executive actions next week to talk about what helping cops and helping our dispatchers. No, we're going to talk about more about police reform and, you know, getting, you know, the old tired talking points (laughs) of, Oh, no more chokeholds, no more, no knock warrants. Those are all, those are all just talking points that really don't do anything. And he's also going to talk about, okay, we need to get some federal funding federal funding to do what to further control law enforcement organizations to enact the woke policies that are getting cops killed. It's crazy. No. I mean, all the second guessing
2: going on out there in society, especially sure release video. And I'm in just outside of Nashville, and we had that incident on the freeway the other day. Um, where that guy was on a stand up out there, and everybody's now talking. Why didn't they try that? Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they do it? You weren't there. You didn't see what was going on. Right. You listen
1: to and that. They thing. did try. They and were they trying for 30 minutes. So he was begging hard. that
3: guy. It was crazy. It was crazy. I'm sorry, For John, agency what? that goes through something like the burning down of the precinct, or we'll say it's a nonviolent event. And speaking of um, my own agency, and I'll only speak of what was reported in the news, uh, we did have some protests outside our building where pictures made the news and also showed a few people climbing on top of our building and chanting at us. And I was inside the building at that time, and know uh, what our dispatchers were going through. So, what advice would you give to dispatchers that have been through an event like that? And speak directly to the supervisors and leaders of those organizations, and what they should do to care for their people.
1: Yeah, that yeah, that is a fantastic question. This is something we talk about in our in our classes long before um, the George Floyd era, um, because as as you guys know, a lot of dispatchers are the first point of contact in a building you know everybody thinks of of large organizations you know nypd chicago pd all of these giant comm centers but in reality um the majority of police departments in the united states are less than 10 officers so if their dispatchers are not in some sort of multi-agency comm center or some sort of consortium they're often uh they're they're not only the dispatchers and the call takers they're the record clerks and they're the greeters at the front door and all of that and i have I have personally talked to dispatchers who sit there at, at two in the morning and they've got a prisoner handcuffed next to them as their, off, their one officer on duty goes out to arrest another person at a domestic or, or whatever. So dispatcher safety is huge. So what is, what is my advice to them? Uh, first and foremost, understand that your cops and your firefighters truly have your back. And, and if you don't feel that you need to talk to your supervisors and my dispatch supervisors, you need to make sure that your dispatchers are interacting with your cops and that they understand the fears that you have, Mm -hmm. when protests are coming to the buildings Mm -hmm. and, and things like that I we also want our dispatchers to understand that, while you a lot of you proudly wear a uniform or, you know, <clears throat> polo shirt that, that has your logo on it or whatever, that, that nowadays you can't wear that outside of the police department. You can't, you know, put on your uniform at home and then walk into a 7-Eleven or whatever and get a, cu- a cup of coffee. Unfortunately, you know, if you've got to put a sweatshirt over that or put on your shirt when it comes yeah. to work, make sure that you're very aware. I also always advise dispatchers and you've got to follow policy But if you live in an area where you are able to um, get trained and legally carry a firearm that you need to take advantage of that because we need you to be safe. We may need you when you're in an off duty situation to help one of us sometimes, but we have got to have, as always, better communication between our line level dispatchers and those line level cops out there. To understand what they're feeling, what they're dealing with as they are looking at, you know, 17 screens and answering the <laughs> phone while talking and all that crazy stuff that dispatchers do, that that their safety is of utmost concern as well mm-hmm. as our safety.
3: And during this event that I uh, referenced, I will say that uh, hearing what you just answered, I'm proud to say that I felt like both our uh, law enforcement and our fire departments did support us. Uh, during those events. So that's great to hear your feedback. Uh, Excellent. And thanks for answering that question.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of like you don't even think about I mean, I I personally never thought about it really our safety and I worked through the Rodney King situation in LA and we were our building was being firebombed all kinds of stuff out there. But I never really thought like, wow, what what is our agency doing to protect us? And that's why now I talk about it all the time, because we need to start thinking about it. Because I worked for the California Highway Patrol, and that was a big agency. Yeah. But even at that time, most of our people were out in the field. I mean, there wasn't a lot right. of people at our comp center. Somebody would have broke that door. We don't have anything to defend ourselves. It's like, good luck. And you're never going to get a gun permit in L.A. So it's like, that's yeah. impossible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
3: like, right.
2: So I mean, right. But now that I live in Tennessee, I mean, it's a whole completely different story. I mean, that blue line flag you have behind you, I used to have one of those flying on my deck in California. I was out of town one day. Jill calls me in a panic. She says, what's going on? Somebody put a note on our door, taped it saying, "You're a bunch of racists. Why do you have such a thing like that?" And I'm like, "What in the hell?" Now I'm here. We have one up. Nobody's saying that, it's right? Nobody
1: bothers up. you. And, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's that's one of the problems that we're having today is that um, these, you know, again, the politicization of public safety um, is so regional. Mm -hmm. and you know i come from chicago where exactly i couldn't fly my thin blue line flag or or anything else we you know we were told you know we we were told you know back um when when barack obama was our senator that we're a bunch of racists and this Mm -hmm. and that and uh um you know i moved to southern arizona here and it's a whole different
3: situation
1: but we're seeing some encroachment and by the way of you darn Californians moving to my state of Arizona.
0: <laughs> we were just talking about that before we started recording, is these Californians will move someplace else and then
1: bring yeah. all their stuff with yeah. them. Yeah, and then they vote, like they vote yes. in California. Yeah. And they, That's they, right. They do not understand what it, what, why things got so bad in California that they had to leave. It's like, yeah. sit down with me for five minutes. I'll explain it all to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I
2: actually am afraid that when people ask me, oh, Doug, where are you guys from?
1: I'm always afraid, like, mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm,
2: like I know. I'm retired, I'm gone, I'm not there no more. <laughs> yeah.
1: See, and, and let me just say this, that, that you know, and, and all of you can, can speak to this, I'm sure, back in the day, now I'm gonna sound super old, we weren't supposed to know each other's politics.
0: Yeah. When, when right.
1: I, you know, I became a dispatcher <laughs> in 1976, when we had, you know, 120 cops a year Getting shot and killed. Um, mm-hmm. I became a cop in 1980. You know, and during all of that, I didn't know the politics of my coworkers, and they didn't know my politics, yeah. and we didn't talk politics at right. work. It's gone so far in in the other direction where now we're hypersensitive mm-hmm. to politics, and and frankly, it's it's getting us killed.
2: It's justifying almost the violence. It's saying, look at how racist the cops yeah. are anyway. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I've known cops my entire life. Leslie's married to one. It's like, w- they're not racist to me. They're not walking around going, oh yeah, we're going to do this today. It doesn't happen right. like that. But we're getting painted yeah. with that same thing. It's crazy. You know,
1: and it's affecting the fire service as well. And I want people to understand that, that, that we are, and again, this started 20 months ago. We're having firefighters shot at, you know, they mm-hmm. wear usually like a blue uniform as well. And um, um, and they're being a lot of them are being told, well, you're part of that whole public safety thing. You back the cops. So, you know, we're not going <laughs> to like you. Right, right. Right.
0: And we've seen situations where firefighters are being ambushed. And, and one of yes. the things that I talk about when, when I'm teaching is for all of the police dispatchers in the room. You know, it's very common when you're taking a call for service, you're looking at previous history, you're looking at the address, you're listening to all of these background things, and then, you know, oh, it's it's maybe a heart attack or something like that. Well, if you've got call history on an address where the paramedics are rolling to a non-law enforcement call for service, but you've got history that shows that officers have had to go hands-on at that particular address, right. or you've got alerts there, Pass that information on. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not necessarily a fire dispatcher, mm-hmm. you have a responsibility. Your public safety, those are your teammates. Like you're talking right. about, we're all a family. And so police dispatchers continue to look at that history and pass on the, the officer safety, the field responder safety that is necessary yeah. to keep those firefighters safe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, That's a, it's a, Leslie, a great you kind of took
3: my uh, next question for her, <laughs> besides... Uh, besides uh doing due diligence over the radio and paying attention and checking status on officers and taking phone calls and asking about weapons and making sure you're getting suspect information what is some other things and leslie just mentioned one that dispatchers can do to help increase officer safety and decrease line of duty deaths
1: uh, that's a that is such <laughs> a fantastic question um one of the things that we asked dispatchers to do and and we asked the administrators to make this happen is every single dispatcher needs to attend officer safety training. Wow. And so that they understand, you know, and again, we we don't need to have them go hands-on and stuff, although that's fun and a lot of (laughs) dispatchers told me they like that stuff. Um, But they need to understand what their cops are thinking about or supposed to be thinking about when they are sending them to a call. And the more a dispatcher knows the safer the cops are. And I would say this goes for the fire service as well. Let them understand what what, uh, their firefighters and paramedics are thinking about as they're rolling to a call. And Mm. and this is why we ask administrators when you're you're sending, um, you know, say you're sending five of your cops to a uh, officer survival class, send one or two of your dispatchers as well. Mm that's yeah.
0: great advice we're, we're like always
2: I, i'm always talking about ride-alongs are so important but i want oh, them yeah. to kind of make it a learning experience so just get in the car going what do you like to do it's like get in the car and ask questions and see what's happening and understand what they're looking at when they're pulling up on somebody you know what do they see in their vision that, that we don't right. do, so and when
1: we do that when we're having our dispatchers do ride-alongs we also gotta have our cops
3: <laughs> get <laughs> out
1: there and do sit-alongs and i don't mean put your feet up on the desk (laughs) and watch the dispatcher work their asses off i'm talking about put on a headset preferably with a a field training dispatcher Mm -hmm. and you know there's nothing more humbling for for a street cop to have to dispatch like an alarm call or handle a traffic (laughs) stop from the comm center it's very humbling and i think it's very um it's a great team building experience. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. agreed. Definitely. Wow. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, it's just, it's, this time has gone by so quickly uh, that we're so happy to have had you stop by and join us on We Speak Dispatch for this thing. And, and it's like, we're trying to get our message out to a lot of different people and agencies and things like that. And Joe will tell you, we've got how many plays do we had on podcast now, Joe, what are we at?
3: Oh, I'm excited. We're in over 30 different countries with over 10,000 plays, and we've only been at it a year and a half. So join us on any podcast platform, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc.
2: Yeah, it, exciting. it's so yeah. great. I just can't believe this thing started as a all of us are friends across the country. We started as a, like, drinking Zoom thing. Yay! So, Betsy, thank you for, for coming out. And, we, again, you're the spokesperson for the National Police Association. Please visit them if you're Thanks, not on, on Leslie Facebook and Joe for stopping by with this thing. Les- Hi, this
0: is Courtney, and you've been listening to another great episode of We Speak Dispatch, proudly sponsored by our friends at Zybex.
1: Stop resisting or I'm going to taser you. You want to take a
3: run at me? Bringing a woman's touch to keeping the peace.
0: Once you show fear, no matter how afraid you are, you have lost.